Hello and welcome to another Not Chilly podcast. The podcast where we watch a movie and then we just sit down and talk about whatever comes to our mind. On this episode, we watched Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And when I watched it with my friend Molly, who works with me in the film industry and we've done a couple of short films together. So sit back and relax and enjoy. Welcome to the Not Chilly podcast. Thank Molly, you for having me. Of course. Uh, tell me about yourself. My name is Molly Haddon and mm. I'm a director. Mm-hmm. Um, I started out when I was a teenager doing professional theatre. So I came from a theatre background and when I sort of got to a certain age, I really realised I wanted to go into film and I wanted to direct. I went to uni, um, actually fell into cinematography, started studying that, did a postgrad in cinematography and then while doing the postgrad realised, actually, I think I want to direct. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... Um, uh, but it was very interesting because I really got to know that it was great, still a great experience studying cinematography because I, it means I feel like I come from sort of two backgrounds and have experience in two worlds mm-hmm. from the acting side and also the camera side of things, which I think only helps. Oh, yeah, with directing. That's yeah. Certainly. You know, and that's a, like you, you I'm working with you on set. I've seen how you can appreciate the, other, the way that things mm. flow. And that's, uh, I don't expect a director to know how a whole set works, mm. um, but I expect a director to have some patience about, mm. or or like a willingness to understand how things work and to listen to the experts that they surround themselves with, mm. because we only want to help. Um, yeah. And so it's good to work with a director that does do that kind of stuff, like that, yeah. that, that might not know exactly how a sound mixer works, but... It's like, okay, I want to listen because I understand that you're a piece in this cog that, that needs to make this project work. Well, I think that's one of the most interesting part of being in filmmaking is it's like an art form, but it's one of the very few like collaborative art forms that solely relies on collaboration from other people. Mm-hmm. It's not, you're not a painter with a, a canvas in your paints. Like if you want to make a project, you need other people to make it happen. Mm-hmm, so I can't, it's very difficult and you sort of I think sacrifice a lot of quality if you decide you're going to be the only person doing it because you can't camera operate act um uh direct produce people try record sound they do and it doesn't end up being the best but you know you always need those other people and what comes with other people is their perspective and their take Mm -hmm. on it and I think that's sort of a nice thing that's why I kind of enjoy working with a writer because um they will write something and then you take it and you interpret it totally differently to how they probably saw it when they were writing it. Mm-hmm. And then you hand it to two or however many actors and then they interpret it and they read it differently. Mm. So you've even recently just shooting Sisters, um, uh, which you were on. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was that big sort of argument scene. And when I read it, I saw it as really, really emotive and angry and um, fast paced. Mm-hmm. And so I designed all these camera movements. So we did all these whip pans and everything because that's how I saw it. Mm-hmm. And the, but when then the actors performed it, it, they did it totally the opposite. They were very slow and they were very considered. Mm-hmm. And they it was sort of like this like festering anger rather than this outbursting anger, which sort of made me sort of had to take a step back on the day and be like, oh, okay, they're doing it so not what I how I saw it. And there's nothing wrong about how they're doing it. It's actually a really great interpretation of it. Um, but it just meant on the day, like adjusting how we shot it. 
Yes. And so having to come up with a backup. So we still shot it in the way that I originally saw, but now that we're doing post-production on it and working with the editor, like going, yep, I suspected it wouldn't quite work. Mm -hmm. And sort of, and it was good to try it and like, oh yeah, maybe it works for this moment and that moment, those sort of more creative shots. But um, for the other, for the rest of the scene, we're just sort of going back to um, a bit more standard coverage just because, it doesn't like you need a lot of energy to like justify something like a whisk, whip pan because yes. it um right it moves quite fast so when you don't have it it just feels really odd mm-hmm. so it was good to like on the day I think recognize that and go okay we're gonna need alternative coverage mm. for those shots just in case which we got and so now we're safe in post. Well, you make a really good point there because this is stuff I'm not a camera person. I'm mm. not interested in that necessarily other than from, through my own means. But there's a reason why this industry has uh, standards in mm. the way they shoot. You know, like we shoot dialogue, you know, in this kind of frame or like maybe it's a mid or maybe it's a close up or whatever it is. The reason why we do that is because that's the safest and best way to get audio and get the, the look of the, the performance and mm. everything. And then everything else we, we pull back and we go crazy on. And the reason why that's the standard is because if all else fails, that will work. Yeah. Uh, and and it's when you talk about things like whip pans and things like that and the way that you're working with that, that concept, it's if you're not experienced or you're not um, – if you don't have the head for it and you think that like, oh, this is, looks cool and you don't factor in that, that energy form, could you imagine what mm. mistakes you would make? And this is the, the, this is what you bring as a director and what, what directors should bring in is that executive decision. You know, there are some directors that, um, which I don't necessarily disagree with, but I don't, it's not as fun to work with that are rigid mm. and that this is the way it's going to be shot. This is my vision. This is how it is. And then there's a more flexible style, which is like, well, no, this is this is collaborative. This is how the industry works. And everyone's not working to my vision necessarily. Mm. They're working for the project. Yeah. And so are you. Yeah, I think and I think collaboration is the biggest part of, for me, filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Um, because you, you do have people like your authors who like heavily influence sort of every aspect and or directors who sort of editors tell me sometimes they work with a director who's sort of like now cut to here now cut to there and they've got it all sort of mm-hmm. set out already whereas I normally maybe for one scene I go I really want to see it in this order that's just how I'm seeing it mm. but for the rest you sort of you let them put their take on it because they it's what they do they sit in front of this footage all day and they know how to turn that into a workable story like mm. that's their role and everyone has their role and you've got to let people do it because it'll if you sort of hinder people in doing that I just think it sort of takes away the quality and it's sort of just your own people just being your robots for you mm. when you want them to add something to it that you didn't see but I also think that you're um it is important that you're still there mm. because you can also you do have the executive decision yes and if i don't like what you're saying then i will just say no <laughs> that's exactly right and that's important yeah you know and that's what we as crew rely upon yeah if i say to you this is not the best way to record the audio but mm. you will get it because of this this and this if you say well i want to do it this way yeah or this is going to be the thing i'll be like okay well mm. there you go that you've made the call I rely upon that decision making. Yeah. Well, and I still think you've still got to be there and it's still got to be your vision, but other people like I think can enhance to it. And when they go, when you go, oh, actually, no, that's not going to help. That's not telling the story that I'm trying to tell here. Mm. Well, that's your job. Yeah. That's your cog in that, we- in, the, yeah. in the clock uh, is, is not, it's, it seems like it's. 
It's like carrying out the ultimate. Oh, I'm trying to think of a metaphor on the spot, but it's not. No. It's not coming to me. <laughs> Don't force metaphors. It's got, it's got to come naturally. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I get what you mean, and you know, like that's and that's good because it's a kind of a description into why and why and how you work. Um, now let's talk about Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, yeah. which is the movie that we both watched uh, and we have notes on. And first, I want to know why, because you chose this movie. Technically, why do you? Cho- why did you choose this movie? Well. It's one of those movies that I can watch because you asked me for my, what are my top five mm-hmm. favorite films? And it's one of the movies that I can watch over and over again. Okay. So there are some movies that are like my top films, but I couldn't watch them mm-hmm. as regularly as I can watch this. Okay. Why, why just, is that though? Well, I think maybe they emote, like maybe they're really emotional and it's quite draining and stuff like that. Or maybe they're a little dry, but this is just a fun film. Okay. It's just fun. And, like, there's nothing that, like, um, didn't win an Oscar and it didn't, um, you know. Did you read the book? Yeah. But when I was a teenager, so I haven't read it in a long time. But um, Was it true? Did you feel, like, are you one of those people that the that you don't care if it's a movie? No, I would have seen the movie before I read the book. Oh, cool. Um, just for an age thing, I think. Mm-hmm. Because I would have been, came out in 2005, so I would have been 11. Okay. And then I read the book as a teenager. That's oh wow, that's uh, I always forget that that like I'm seven years older than you. So like for me that would have been I would have been eighteen mm, when the movie came out. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I never really read the books, and I tried to, but I find the way he writes just mm. like I get so confused. Yeah, well, it is a very confusing series as well. Like the fact that there's like it's like an it's written as like it's called like an eight part series, but there's not even eight books and it just did it to fuck with people. And yeah, yeah. Like you don't know what order the books are in. Like, it's really hard to work out what mm. order the books, the book is almost like, I think as well, the, the order the books were written in, it's not necessarily the order of the story too. Yes. I've heard that, that kind of stuff. And it's a satire on everything. Yeah. Like it doesn't like, I feel like this film tried to satirize one aspect of what yeah. the book was probably trying to say. Cause yeah. you couldn't. But it was just fun. It's just a fun movie and that's why I like it. And it's not, doesn't take itself seriously and it's just meant to be silly. Okay. Which is, I think, why I enjoy it because it's not there to do anything other than just sort of take the piss a little bit and like even make fun of itself in some areas, I think. So I think it's actually, it's it's deeper than... Than we think? Yeah. Well, than I thought when, when, when I first watched mm. it. This isn't the second time I've watched it. And watching it again, I'm just like, oh, like it's just the... Without saying it blatantly, they're constantly giving these really deep concepts. and these. Yeah. Well, I think uh, definitely watching it again and going, oh, I have to take notes on it made me sort of see it. I'm like, oh, I never really even like picked up on that. And then I watched a bit of behind the scenes stuff. And so they, they were talking about so the Vogons, mm-hmm. they made them, they wanted them to look like really stuffy, like, so judges and um, they have these really flat faces because like on their planet, they keep getting smacked in the face. Oh, by those, with those things. things. So it's like, so as they evolve, they just evolve with these really flat faces. So they get, so the ideas have been squashed, which is why they don't have them anymore. And they, ah. so it's like an evolutionary thing for them. Wow. That's, that's actually deeper than I thought. Yeah. Well, let's start with um, the beginning of mm-hmm. the film, which if you've seen, have you seen Shaun of the Dead? Yes. 
I feel like it's very, it starts very Shaun of the Dead wise. It, well, sorry, there is something that happens. It's the dolphin scene and the sing, the sing yeah. thing. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of ignoring that, that only because it's kind of like almost like opening trailers, but it does tell a lot of the film mm. that dolphins are the second smartest animals mm. that ever reveal. So by the way, spoilers, um, if you haven't seen this film, it's been more than a like. More it's been than, over 10 years. It's yeah. been 13, 14 years now. So yeah, let's, you know, people should watch it if, or if they haven't watched it, then tough. Uh, maybe pause. I don't care. Um, so obviously the 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 mice are the smartest yeah the mice are the smartest and the the dolphins are the second smartest and which is humans. a play straight at the beginning. Mm. Um, and the fact that the dolphins like are using their they're dancing at their at SeaWorld or whatever to be able to communicate to the humans. I love that song. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't even remember it, to be honest. I just watched this last night. I don't remember how. I'm sure if we played it now, I could say all the words along with Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I guess you've watched this a, a bunch of times. Yeah. I love the, I, I think that there's, the film constantly challenges your, or, or the, the relevance of humanity. Mm. I think, and that's what I really love about it. Like it's, it's, it doesn't it just basically in the nicest way possible shits on humans yeah you know it's That's like oh you think you're so yeah go go my go. note from the end of the film which is sorry to jump right ahead to the end but um when they ask or oh, is there anything you would change about the planet and he goes oh exactly the same except without me and i'm like really of all the things you could change and yeah. i'd almost be like yeah keep it going but get rid of humans or something like that we're not that great or like there's nothing you would change except yeah well that's except taking you out of it yeah <laughs> with the world yeah i think that that i mean i feel like that's really the the romance that came in there mm. and I, and um and i'll get to that kind of the whole romantic plot line mm. is that actually in the book i can't even remember i think so okay because no. that's I, that I found really really interesting. What did I write first? Oh, that's right. Let's talk about our first favorite like points. So mine being so long and thanks for the fish, <laughs> which I think is just once again it's so it's so absurd, but it's it it like like I've said before, it demeans humanity in, mm. a, in a weird kind of way. Like like that that we are so not in control of what we think we are. We are so high and mighty about how we perceive the universe. Mm. Um, what you you had something written down? What was it? Yeah. So. Um, I like I really enjoy the opening I find it very funny and then they make all these sort of points where they're like um, you have like you're not paying attention to like the natural wonders that grow around you and we didn't really like you but we we liked your tiny tots and pregnant women <laughs> we were fond of them <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then they have a whole thing about oh we would have liked to learn to sing if we stuck around a little bit longer yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, which is Awesome. I mean, like I said, this beginning, it it reminds me also of um, Meaning of Life. Mm. If you ever, like, the kind of yeah. opera, or I guess even Austin Powers and has that kind of uh, kind of intro moment where they just kind of go into sing and dance. And it's it obviously is setting up the film, but it also in its own way is kind of just an absurdist moment and doesn't actually, it kind of sets you into the universe, but doesn't, it's not telling necessarily very much of the story. You could have, you could have summarized what that opening did in, like, a 30 second exposition kind of moment, but it made it so much more hilarious and it set the theme. It had a whole song and dance and it was these dolphins. Yeah, exactly. It's so, it, it, it's Just so funny. Absurd. Yeah. We were talking before about like uh, one of your scripts and, and the idea of that penguin and the thing. Oh yeah. It being a, this absurdist concept that you throw in. And, yeah. and that's one thing that this film does really well. And also like I imagine the book is that it somehow makes it okay, mm. that it, but it, it is in fact 
absurd. Um, yeah. So let's start. With, then, then let's go with like what I was talking about—the Shaun of the Dead kind of moment, mm. which is when we see our first the, the what was it, Martin Freeman? Is that his name? The actor. Yeah. And his kind of first moment of yawning and his yeah, kind of slapsticky you, kind of. We start with man, and it's just this shot of him like going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's whacking again? his head, making a cup of tea. In his pajamas. Yeah, yeah, and him being this like he's just he's just man. Like, yeah, he's not like very ordinary man. Yeah, we just came from dolphins flipping and flying into space, uh, who can intelligently talk and understand the universe to this like dumb thing mm. that like is just a complete joke. What do you think of the character? Very ordinary, and mm-hmm. I think it's sort of it's good in a way because it's like he's this very ordinary person. Mm-hmm. There's nothing special about him, yet he's the person. Like the last remaining human, or in the film, like this Trillian mm. or Trisha McMillan. Um, but like, that's who goes on, and everyone else is killed, and he's just the most average man. Like, he probably doesn't do anything very exciting for work. He's probably works an accountant or works in an office, like, just living a very average, normal life. Mm, which is funny when you. And look so, at and it. then him, he. It, He's the person that's put in these all in these extraordinary situations. Well, I uh, uh, looking dissecting him as a person. I think he like he has his own house, which mm. he owns in like a country property. Like it's, <laughs> I love this idea of his normality being this like this. What I would imagine being like, I'd love to own a little country cottage house and uh, with my own little farm. And like, yeah, he's you know kind of going to be trampled over by the highway. But I think that it's just like uh, I. It, it's amazing what Hollywood, or I guess in this instance, I imagine this was filmed in the UK. Paints as normal. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Because that's far from normal. Like For you, yeah. For, but I think if... For most people, right? Yeah. But, but I think also if you um, were to sit down with the character of Arthur Dent, you'd probably... He's not, he's not a rocket scientist or anything. No. He's not, um, you know, curing cancer. He'd, you'd have a very easy discussion with him about very ordinary everyday things i think he's not even just not he's not even just normal but he's also uh he's not courageous mm. he's not daring yeah uh, which is i guess the same kind and of- he didn't choose to leave the planet no and he if he was offered the opportunity like would you like to stay and see the universe mm-hmm. or just continue on with the rest of your life he probably would have just continued on with the rest of his life but he wasn't given that opportunity to choose he was just put in that situation have you seen rogue one the Star Wars fan. Are yes. you a Star Wars fan? Um, oh, I've seen it. I wouldn't. Call yourself. Sam, I'm not a nut about it, but I'll watch them. Okay. I can't remember if I did a podcast on Rogue One. Maybe I did. Maybe I didn't. Anyway, if I did, uh, I probably talked about with my friend Josh, because I imagine that's the person I would have done it with. Uh, the idea, the one thing that really sucked about that film that kind of like destroyed mm-hmm. it for a lot of us, it, which I think anyway, is that it was none of the characters chose to be where they were. Mm-hmm. They just got led on this this trip, which made the stakes be completely like nil. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, you guys are just being fed through the machine. You're not making an active choice to resist or to fight or to, mm-hmm. to be like, you know what? Against all odds, I'm going to go here. They do that once in the film. And it, make, it takes away from the characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it takes away from the plot because no one's invested because they're like, well, you didn't choose to be here. So I'm just watching, you know, something happen and play out. And I don't, I don't have any involvement in you as a character, but there is some in this film. And even though Arthur's character is very much a follower and he mm. kind of gets led on this journey, we still, still enjoy his trip. Yeah. You know, wh- because he's reacting to it in a very ordinary way. Mm-hmm. I mean, who knows? Like, it'd be very hard to compare, like, how would we actually react to all this sort of stuff happening? and ending up on a spaceship and then ending up on 
another planet. Like, how would we really sort of cope with all these things? But, it's but he's playing normal- us. Yeah. It's not even just normal. He's playing the, he's playing the audience, mm. you know, and I think that's hilarious because we like to see it. The, the one thing that kind of made me feel a bit anti-Arthur is is he's kind of like he's almost so so not courageous and daring mm. that it's frustrating. Yeah, he's an absolute chicken. Yeah, but I think we all would be. Well, that's my point: is that we don't want to admit it to ourselves, but we're, I think we all are that are Arthur yeah. in a lot of ways. I mean, there's situations where it's like, hey, there's um, so when they land on Magrathia and they've got to go through that sort of vortex mm-hmm. and it's just sort of spinning with shards of ice, and he's like, no, I don't want to run through that; I'll get killed. Yeah, and then yeah. they don't but it's sort of i think we'd all have that fear like sort of looking at mm. like looking at a wood chipper and going how are you going to pass through that to get to the other side or something it's like no i don't want to do that that's really <laughs> sounds really dangerous and yeah, scary yeah. that's why and that's why zoe dashanel's character comes in mm. Tr- trillion well she's trisha mcmillan but when she goes into space she changes it to something spacey trillion really loud that one this one's particularly loud yeah so she, so it's trillion and yeah. she obviously plays like the part of our minds that mm. wants to adventure. Yeah, and- the more adventurous side of us, which is also like a little bit crazy. And I love how they're like very, um, oh, maybe Arthur was the one and everything. She met him one night at a party. And also I totally understand. She was like, hey, let's go to Madagascar. And he's like, mm, no, thanks. I have a life here. I have a job. I can't just up and leave. He probably doesn't even have the money to go to Madagascar. Yeah. And she's like, oh, you don't want to go to Madagascar with me? Oh, oh she's totally yeah. so stupid in some yeah in her expectations of what someone you've just met is willing to like do for you Mm. um yeah hell yeah she's so she's but but i think that in its own respect if i was listening to a director talk about this i think that 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 way that i would describe it would be like oh yeah she is that part of their mind Mm. that does want to do things that that is you know but they're the either end of that spectrum and so in that respect, you could say they kind of need each other mm. because I think there's... Zoe they bring out the best in each other. They make him more adventurous and they make her... More grounded. Yeah. But then again, that's not how the story plays. In the end of the film, it's like, he's, I'm more adventurous. And it's like, do you, does she want to maybe throw in on this and be like, hey, uh, you know what? Let's take this slow or whatever. Let's think about this. It's like, no, no, no. He's just learned to be more adventurous, which is a bit like silly in itself. It's, it's the reverse of Greece at the end where she becomes the bad girl. Yeah. And... Um, and and everyone's like, oh, so she just changed to like suit a guy. Yeah. The reverse of that. Oh man. He, so he just becomes more adventurous. Yeah, yeah. Which is better, right? Mm. Just like in Greece, where she smokes more and mm. and wears more seductive clothing. That's like what you should do. Gets a perm. Yeah, is that what that like the curly hair? hair. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure if it was a perm, but it was definitely zhuzhed up with some curls. So the moral of the story is yeah. change yourself. Yes. For other people. Get a perm. Get a perm, change yourself for and other people. Start people. smoking. Start well, uh, pff, let's start this now. Like that's oh, just I think it's super it's no, it is a I mean, we're kind of making fun of the industry because Mm. this is what stories, these are what the stories we see tell us Mm. to do and to behave. And, uh, and in some ways we kind of justify it by, by like what I just described being those two characters being on the end of their, of our own minds, but never coming to a point where it makes like logical sense in the middle. Well, I think as a society, we do, we are taught to respect and we applaud people for their bravery and their courage. Yes. And doing stuff 
that's out of the ordinary. And we don't really applaud the ordinary stuff like, mm-hmm. oh, you um, could have had all these adventures, but- You saved your money and you bought a house. Yeah. Yeah. And you like, gave your children a good life. Yeah, yeah. And stuff like that. And we don't like applaud those sort of things. They're very ordinary, but we go, oh, this person has spent 10 years backpacking around the world, sleeping on people's sofas. It's interesting. It's mm. different. And we got to like, you know, um, so someone goes, even just like- it, it, we tell our kids to go and have like these big adventures because everyone should have a bit of an adventure. Like, so doing gap years and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Parents are often really encouraging of it and will give money for people to go do that. Mm, Well, I mean, I guess they want them to have like their children to have a life that they might not have had in that Mm. same capacity. But I don't think, I think that we should applaud the person who's worked nine to five for Mm. their entire lives, who's built a, a stable and secure home and who, you know, occasionally. Keep society going. Yeah. Not everyone can travel around Asia and sleep on people's couches for 10 years. Well, that's the sad thing society about Asia, would, right? would have, fall apart. Have you been to Vietnam? Yes. When you have conversations with people there and they go like, they don't even conceive of the idea of leaving the country mm. because they can't. Like they own so little and it's and it's such a privilege. It's a privilege to even travel, travel within the country. Yeah, right. Do domestic tourism. And- yeah, that's absolutely right for them in particular. And we're just mm. like, well, I'll just eat all the food I want. And mm. oh my God, food poisoning is the worst. It's like, yes, this is what they live with. This is the, the food quality standards that they have. And I'm upset because my coffee, soy milk wasn't, you know, cooked to the standard that I like. And it's, yeah, it's it's crazy to think that, like, I don't know, I've learned to kind of applaud that a lot more than I mm. used to. I used to think of it very, like, oh, my God, I just want to adventure. I just want to do life. And there's an instinct inside me that's like, yeah, just got to get out and do more. Just mm. don't, don't settle with life. And then, like, I think you got to train that out of yourself. I think you got to re- look at the medium around you and be like, you know what, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna follow that I'm mm. going to I'm going to settle and not because settling is is in some way a negative thing it's just security and safety and love and feel story. Good. yeah yeah anyway well that's and this is the funny thing about the film right it's not telling you that story and mm. it has such an opportunity to tell you that story like and but like you describe it's the industry that tells us yeah that it's should be applauded yeah I think if someone asked me they said oh here are your two options go travel space and you will travel space indefinitely you'll go on all these adventures mm-hmm. um but you don't know what's going to happen and you'll be kind of on your own or you could stay here have the life you always wanted have the job you wanted have a family have friends like i don't really know what option i would mm. choose i'd sort of be like well i like the life i'm living and i'm not unhappy in it and i like my friends and i would like to be a part of a family and i think that's really important so i don't know if i could as much as exciting as the other option sounds mm. it's like a lot of stuff to give up that's a part of your human nature to want yeah hell yeah but i think that that's that's a decision that will happen mm. you know like you'll get to that point where that's a call you will make about your own life and one will start feeling more important than the other well, yeah i do keep going to parties waiting for an alien to ask <laughs> if i will go into a spaceship with him yeah it's yet to happen well that's just keep holding out hope yeah it's a lot of parties I have to go to. Yeah, anyway. that's true, which is very... It's getting very tiring. Yeah, yeah. That's the worst, you and your parties. <laughs> Man, I can't think of anything worse than going to a party and then having some space alien be like, hey, come in my space. Especially that jerk face. He was such a... Sam Rockwell. Oh, is that the actor? That's the actor. Oh, is he an Australian actor? No, he's American, but American. he's very funny. Yeah, he is... Oh, man, he's a... He was probably the most annoying character in that movie. You find... Oh yeah, I didn't. I like. I thought it was good that he was annoying. Yeah, he was the um the crazy that that forced everyone to kind of do crazy things. Yeah, uh, and he kind of existed in the absurdity, which mm. was part of like it, he was part of the universe more than he was part of the characters in the in the yeah. film. If that kind of makes sense. Oh yeah. Um, 
and but he was so annoying. <laughs> like, what do you think of him? I like what you said about, and I agree that he was more a part of the universe mm. and a problem than a character that we sort of watch develop and stuff like that. Because he doesn't, he doesn't have a character development. Really. No, he plays. Um, I do like when um, at the end when she shoots him with the point of view gun. Oh, that's and, like he sees thing. it from her perspective, and then he tries to flip it around, and she goes, "It won't work. I'm already a woman." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's so That's such a great line. Like yeah, absolutely. But yeah, it's like it, was, it takes a gun to show um, him like how she's sort of been thinking and feeling and then doesn't really affect him ultimately. No, no. Well, he that... doesn't even really care about her and um, who she is or what she wants. She's just sort of there for him and a little fun sidekick on his adventure. Yeah, but we don't, he's almost not a really a, a character that we're meant to sort of invest in and follow along with and see ourselves in. No, that's certainly not. Um, what about the, oh, what's his name? Ward. Yes. What about him? What do you think of that? He's fun. It's played by Moss Def, isn't it? I yes. have no idea. Probably. Um, he's a rapper. Oh, really? Yeah, he's in the music industry and stuff. And That's I didn't crazy. know that. Like, so I ne- never knew who he was outside of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And then I found out later he like knew Tupac and oh, really? stuff like that. Oh, yeah. So- I'm not a big part of that scene, but I found that really fascinating. I was like, wow. Um, he did a good job. Yeah, he did a really great job. He was very funny. But was he a character? Or did he? I don't know if he had an arc. No, he doesn't really have an arc. Yeah. He's sort of the vessel for Arthur to go on this mm-hmm. adventure. And he's sort of like, I guess, the cool, calm, collected one, never really that stressed out, and he's just sort of bumming around the universe. I think that he is the hitchhiker's guide mm. in the in the film, and I think oh, he's yeah. needed in that respect because the, the universe is so absurd. He's that, the guidance. Like, Arthur yeah. would have absolutely no idea what to do if without him. Yeah, that's right. And if he was, if they did just start the film and he wasn't there and he was sent up and ship somehow made it to that first mm. part of the ship, he would just die. Yeah. And it wouldn't, we would also, as an audience member, be like, oh, what the fuck's going on? This is just stupid. We mm. needed someone to be like, no, 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 it's fine. This is just to what guide us do. through the, he's the person that guides us, us as the audience as well through this sort of strange world. Mm, and pats us on the back and says, it's okay. It's okay. Don't worry. This is normal. Mm. You know, you're just going to have to feel this weird thing for a bit. You know? Yeah. He's um, oddly the voice of reason. Well, in an absurdist film, that's exactly what he is. And and I think you're right. I don't think he develops as a character. Mm. He's just a, you know, like he's just another tool and an object. So really, what about the robot, Marvin? I think he has a bit of a slight arc. Can a robot have a character arc? Uh, yes. Have he has a movement a robot? of uh, courage. He has, I don't know if it's courage. <laughs> I just think, oh, no, I guess he is. He like, gets that's up why. and shoots the gun. Yeah, he does. But I, and he kind of like, he was dead and he kind of like awakens mm. and then, and it's his depression. But he's still sad. <laughs> It is. It's real. It, he's a really sad character, and also he's a really sad portrayal of depression. Yeah, I, think. I also think it's. I find it very odd that they had the actor Warwick Davies playing like in the suit, but then it was voiced out. Voiceover was Rickman. Alan Rickman. Yeah, right. The, they didn't just have like a you know a person of the right stature in that costume. They had an actual professional actor doing it, and then weren't even using his voice. Yeah, I found that really odd because they could have just had somebody that was just the right height doing it they didn't really need well you know they did that for star wars right the first star wars films they had a, a completely different person in darth vader's suit and really? then they revoiced him with who is now famous for being darth vader because they just didn't like his voice oh. so it's it's not uncommon mm. uh i mean let's let's i want to know what your perspective is on that imagine getting into the editing room and be like this doesn't sound the person in that suit doesn't sound, sound like right. marvin to yeah me. What would you do? Oh, it's a hard decision, That's a hard right? one. Maybe it was 
sort of decided maybe they knew from the get-go that Alan Rickman was always going to be the voice. Mm-hmm. But no, like, you know that. You're the director in this film. Mm-hmm. You're 50% into shooting. This is, you know, $10 million or $20 mm-hmm. million, probably more because it looks like it was probably like a $40 million film, but whatever it was, you get 50% of the way of the film. You did like the, the you know, performance of, uh, what was the actor's name? The uh, Warwick Davies. Warwick Davies. He's a guy from Life Too Short. And yeah, stuff. and he was in Harry Potter and stuff like that. And played, in Star Wars. Yeah, um, plays a lot of, I think he does quite a few of those roles where it's in a costume. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe she's used to that. I'm not sure. Well, yeah, I mean, and to say if that's okay or not is is obviously questionable. But you're 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 watching rushes. You're watching an assembly edit of what you've mm. got so far, and you go, "Doesn't there's something about this that doesn't work?" And I've heard this with someone that has much of a like much more res- let's just say much more resonance in their voice, mm. like someone who's a voice actor. Mm. What's your call? What's your feelings? This is hard to say because I I think I'm. S- I'm still at the point where, like, the stakes of my film are not that high. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to make decisions. Um, so often, like, perhaps, say, working with, if I have, when working with a difficult actor, mm-hmm. I still go, oh, well, they're a bit challenging or whatever. But um, ultimately, if it's a short, it's only, like, maintaining a good relationship with them and keeping on board the project is more important than losing them, recasting to have a better outcome for the film set. Mm-hmm. Because the stakes are not as high in what I'm doing. I don't have, like, a $40 million budget behind them and going, oh, well, if it's really crap, and this is not portraying exactly what I want, there's a lot riding on it. Whereas at the moment it's because it's still so collaborative and I'm still at a, an earlier point in my career. There's, mm. I think I just, right now I'm better off working with what I have and trying to keep that going and getting the best out of what I have. Than, um, so this is the beautiful a, thing about hypotheticals though. Yeah, offending ego and stuff like that. Yeah, like you, you do have final say. You, mm. your investors will, are also people you need to appease because mm. this isn't $40 million of your own money. This is 40 mm. million of investors money. So how do you, how do you go on with this? Well, I think you just have to do what's best for the film in that sense. And people will get hurt. And if they originally thought they were going to voice with the voice of that part, and then they find out they're not, I think you've just got to break it to them in the nicest way mm. you possibly can. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right because, you know, it's not, like you said, this is a collaborative industry. Mm. It's not actually, in that scale, it's not up to you. Mm. You you are the voice of, of, like, you're the vision that people are following. Mm. You're the selling point in that respect. But if the higher-ups make that call, then you've got, at some point got to make that call. Uh, you can, And you can fight them on it and you can push hard against them. Um, and you might do that for the right reasons. But perhaps you agree as well. Exactly. And it is like you describe. It's a, I think it's about the mm. project. You know, like like I've said before, if someone wants to record uh, in an air conditioning unit while it's switched on, then that's their choice. If that's, mm. if that's what they think is the best thing for the production, then that's what the way we'll do it. Uh, it's just going to be ADR and it's just going to be blah, 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 whatever the ramifications mm. are. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, there's, you have to find a balance. Well, even so now I still have to find a balance of like, I don't, I don't want to compromise and I still want to produce the best quality that I can. Um, and I wouldn't... Like uh, I was saying, like I wouldn't not have something if I thought it would compromise what I was ultimately trying to achieve good. with the film. Sorry, I shouldn't be judgmental and be like, that's a good way of thinking. <laughs> Anyone else that doesn't think that is terrible because there are some great directors who, who you know, work on empathy. Yeah. You know, and who just believe in the characters 
till the bitter end, I imagine. Hmm. But but I also think that like you you said it in the beginning of this podcast, it's about the project, hmm. and yeah, you're a cog in that wheel, just like we all are. And you know, if an actor brings something dif- totally different to the role, you can be look. You're just not seeing it how I see it. Mm-hmm. And often that's in the initial auditioning process. So like they're just I'm seeing it a certain way, and they're reading it differently to how I see it. So we're not going to go with them. And mm. a lot of that that's a big part of auditioning. Mm-hmm. Um, but often, you know, on smaller stuff, you sort of work with what you've got and it can be very interesting to go, oh, well, I totally saw it this one way and what I'm getting is so different. But these are really beautiful uh, performers um, and there's nothing wrong with what they're giving me. It's just different to how I initially saw it. And um, sometimes that can be a really good thing because it changes, it adds a new perspective to it. And sometimes that's a positive, I think. Well, I think that you were saying that before as well in when you're describing the collaborativeness Mm. in the same vein that, you know, it is about the project it's also you need to let go of it as Mm. well it's not your thing it's everyone's thing Mm. and that means that that if an actor or an, any part of the department has a better idea then maybe that needs to be considered mm. um, but you're the vessel in which we consider that mm. uh, as crew and i'll ultimately go no i don't think that's going to save the story or i don't think that's important i do that a lot with so cinematographers like to get creative and like I want to shoot it from this really odd angle (laughs) and you go this isn't a music video but how does that tell the story yes and it doesn't tell the story so I don't I don't see the point in taking maybe an extra half an hour to get this really odd angle Mm. that isn't going to carry us anywhere Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I think there's a have you I mean obviously you know Roger Deakins Mm. Uh, there's a podcast, you know, referring back to the last season, which I can say. I've been trying to do this a lot more. I refer back to other episodes. But uh, me and my friend Josh did a... Trying uh, to get people to go into your back catalogue. Yeah. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> get, get more than 15 uh, listens on one, like, podcast would be awesome. Um, we did um, Prisoners. Have you seen that film? Mm-mm. It's amazing. Shot by Roger Deakins. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also did um, Jarhead. Okay. As well, which was also when you look at, they look like completely different films, but then you realize what Deacons provides as a DOP. Yeah. Occasionally, like all DOPs have their moment of like, wee, this looks amazing. Mm. But you'll see in Deacon's work, what makes him such an amazing DOP is that he's all about the story. Mm. Like every, like there are, there are times where there's like a shot, which is like, it's one angle and everything happens in that shot and it's not even a good like i'm like oh my god this is it blows my mind but it tells everything mm. you need to know and it and it gives you the emotional intent of every character by the way that it's angled and it's like it doesn't wow you but then when you start to criti- like crit- critically look at it you go mm. oh my god this is one of the most amazing shots i've ever seen uh and that's one of his like gems and it's what like one of the things i mean like i imagine everyone would want to work with deacon but um i imagine that that's kind of what you like it sounds like that's what your mentality is yeah well i think i'm for me it's always always about the story Mm -hmm. and that's the most important thing and i if you don't have a good story then you don't really have anything and um telling the story is the most important part and i think you can get very distracted sometimes what i like doing is when i don't have a budget you have nothing but the story Mm-hmm. And th- that is literally all you have. So how do you tell it? You've got to do the best you can in order to tell it. So like getting really great actors who can bring it to life and like a cinematographer who can really capture it and someone really great on sound who can record that. And, um, but so, but just on Deacons, mm. um, I think, uh, my cinematography teacher, Justine Kerrigan, um, she was, we were having a discussion once cause I, I just find 
a lot of cinematographers really, really love anamorphics. Oh, yes. <laughs> they love anamorphics and everything they shoot, they want it to be in that ratio. Mm-hmm. If, if they can't, even if they're not shooting on the lenses, they want that ratio. Yes. Um, but I often find it distracts from the story. And I have a friend who's not involved in the film industry and she just wants one. I hate it when everything's skinny. I hate it when the picture is really skinny <laughs> and I don't like looking. It's like looking at a piece of spaghetti yeah. and like trying to watch it through that, you know, um, and that's how she phrased it. But it often doesn't help the story and it can often take you out of it. And Justine was talking about how Roger Deakins, he got, I think, a bit of criticism for one sort of show, not criticism, but people asked, oh, this sort of film you did, how these beautiful landscapes, why weren't you shooting anamorphic? And he goes, well, because it wasn't about the landscapes. It was about the people. And if you want to tell a story about people, you shoot 16 by 9 because you don't want to see what's sort of... On the far edges of the frame. Yeah, you want to be right up there in their face and really connecting with them. And it's just, just can be really distracting. Yeah, that's that's a, that's well told. And So I often have to like people be like, oh, we're going to shoot an anamorphic. And I go, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, we won't. No. Also, I don't have budget to shoot because yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculously expensive. Um, and no, I, I've shot with anamorphic and as a soundie, you get away with more because the frame stretches on the mm. sides, doesn't stretch above. above. And so often you can get a boom in where you want it or you um, or you can hide bugs better because it's wider mm. looking. But obviously there's the whole spectrum of anamorphic lenses. You know, there's a there's an 80 mil in anamorphic, you know, like it doesn't, not, not everything is a 16 mil or something. So um, I, I don't, that's a really good perspective on that kind of, that decision. Yeah. And I'm yet to fall in love with anamorphics is what I'm saying. And you know what, you you might find that dear. Later on. To, mm. You know, I think that like, uh, when I started my career, I had a, uh, I started off with a, a very crappy microphone, mm. a cable and a boom pole. Um, and every little upgrade I got, like where it was a shock mount or mm. I upgraded the microphone, I got a longer boom pole or a better cable or a curly cable and then eventually a recorder and everything was appreciated mm. because I was like, oh man, I wish I had a wireless that went more than five meters and wouldn't cut out every second. And so then I got the, I finally got the wireless and I just like, I pushed that to its length. Like now I wish I had antennas and fins that could make mm. me go a hundred meters and wouldn't get as much interference. Now I wish I had a mixing panel. And, and so in the same, I imagine in the same version of the story that you have, you're experiencing filmmaking and slowly incorporating new techniques when you're starting to realize why you might want to introduce them. Yeah. And well, I'm, I did have a friend say, I'm like, I'm just not, that into it and he's a cinematographer and he said I was really not into um, anamorphics but eventually like I just really love them and everything he shoots now is basically anamorphic but um, I think also because of the stories I'm where I'm at at the moment what I am telling is that sort of narrative drama and it's really about people and I like doing stories about relationships and Mm -hmm. um, you know between like so a conversation was about a mother and a daughter and that dynamic and like What would what would shooting that anamorphic that would not have served the story? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like we didn't need to see more of the living room. What's your anamorphic story? If you could think of one, I'm not saying you actually have that in your mind. Um, I have a short that I think would work quite well anamorphic, but it's sort of it's like a road film and it's set 
in the wilderness and I think what you it would serve the story because what you want to see is all this vastness and how alone these two characters are mm-hmm. in that world mm-hmm. and how empty that world is but um for the most part this is when I'm, I'm doing stuff about people and people connecting with each other and we don't need to see so much of that outside world yeah the environment space that, that exists between them yeah no, that's that's a that's a good uh, it's a good attitude that you're still open to it well it- yeah and that's also why i'm trying to like i'm spending a bit of the year get, trying to get experimental with what i direct and trying things outside what i think my normal um my go-to area and what i feel the mm. most confident in so like doing music videos which I've, i'm not familiar with and it's probably ultimately what not what i want to pursue with directing but just giving it a go and trying it and to see how that's done um just because getting out of that narrative drama mm. world a little bit even just doing comedy and stuff like that is a bit different to what i normally do well in music videos you tell a story often with just vision mm. and the story is is very much um to a beat how is that how do you feel like that's going to change the way that you make movies going on interesting <laughs> <laughs> come boom <laughs> take that wow that's a lot to think about Piot, and i've not really analyzed it that much well um i'm gonna have a little little think to myself yeah yeah take your time i'm Hmm. How do I think it's going to change? Okay, what would you do? You're sitting, you're 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 doing a music video, mm-hmm. and you, oh, you get better yet. Let's start you from the beginning. Some mm-hmm. some musician comes up and goes, you know what? I, I I like your work. You seem like a cool person. Can you direct our music video? Mm. Um, the song is about uh, a loss of a partner in mm. like a relationship, a breakup, uh, and it's very dreamy and foresty. And stuff like that. Mm. Um, now tell me, tell tell me how you would try to pitch that story. Well, I think there's there's a few different styles of music videos. Mm-hmm. You've got some that are sort of performancey, where it's you watch the band performing from a lot of different angles. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And sometimes they're in front of like um, they're in a recording studio, or they're in front of a live audience, or they're in like a cool location on like a rooftop or something like that. So there's that style of music video. Mm-hmm. Um, there's sort of like there's probably a lot of analysis on this that I'm just not familiar with, but. And then there's a style where it's um, uh, them performing, but uh, they're in a location and we're sort of seeing the emotions of this, the, usually the singer. Um, and we're seeing them do like, you think about, uh, oh, like, you know, them dancing and stuff like that. So it's not necessarily telling a story, but there's something quite visually grabbing, like, mm-hmm. um, going on. Like you think of, a, I don't know, like the Ariana Grande music video. I don't I know if you've seen know. that, but they're like, just, it's like a, like 30 women on exercise bikes. Oh, wait, I think I've heard of, yeah. or. It's just a lot of like shots of asses and stuff like that. Oh, right. It's not like really telling us the story of the song. Yeah. It's just a bit exciting and jazzy. And then there's the other kind which really like almost follow a narrative. Mm -hmm. Which would, would you mind doing any of those or would you want to do all of those? Well, I'm going through the sort of phase of I'll give anything a go mm-hmm. and I'm trying to give lots of different things a go just to try and get myself out of my comfort bubble, which is narrative drama. So I'm wanting to try doing something that, um, so the next music video I'm going to do, um, with a girl called Chloe Grant, she, uh, it's not going to be like have a narrative. It's really going to be okay. How can I capture this song and make it look wonderful and like f- have feel wonderful watching it mm. without having the story? So trying to do something other than telling a story. So just trying to tell a feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. How do I capture that? So that's my next little project, which I'm excited to try. Mm. Okay. So you're up for. I like you described. You're up for anything. Mm. So it's 
we're now going from that, mm. what value do you see in just even the pre-production process? You don't have to tell me about what you're going to do because obviously, you know, confidentiality mm. and all that other business. And I haven't thought of it yet. Yeah, they, oh, <laughs> there you go. Um, and it, so it's very early in the pre-production process. Yes. But what are you finding that like, you're like, oh, you know what? I'm like, this is a whole new way of telling like a perspective that that I can incorporate into my my dream of telling narrative story because I can already think of one. What are you thinking of? Um just only because I can see that you're you're, you're still in thinking mode, <laughs> and I don't mean to be mean, but it's like I'm like I said that I said that question again. I'm like, okay, wait, hold on. She still needs to think about this, and I think well, because I thought I knew where the question was going, and then you went somewhere else with it. Yeah. <laughs> so I had an answer, and then you changed, and I didn't know how to answer. We at this unless podcast will always you know try to trip you at your feet. Um, I'm gonna I'm just gonna turn this off because I feel like it's getting hot under it. No, so one of the things I was gonna say is that I imagine. In even in drama and narrative, there's always the kind of the, the, the montage or mm. uh, moments in a film where there is it isn't about the dialogue or mm. there could be dialogue, but the way that it's shot isn't about what they say and more about what a character is yes. feeling in that moment. I think sort of uh, learning to do music videos will definitely help me in those things. And I think because what I have been doing is so um, performance-based and dialogue-based that it will be really interesting. It's like a conversation mm. which we shot um, in 2018. Um, it's r- literally a conversation mm-hmm, from mm-hmm. start to finish and there's not really any sort of moments you Outside say that, of that, there is the. I don't know, oh, you're about to go into this. I'm not sure because because there was. Oh this, yes, of course. That so was all we, about feeling. So we wanted to add these. So it wasn't in the script, and it's something that Matt, the cinematographer, and I came up with, mm. which is we wanted to see. So this girl is talking about a moment from her childhood, and we decided we wanted to see it. Mm-hmm. And so we brought in a young actress to play, sort of this out this memory, and then we also had the actress play out the same thing but her as an adult so like her sort of basically she was um her mum locked her outside on the deck one night and so we see the young girl locked outside the house and then we see the adult version of her um is this something that people can see is this out it's, it's almost done it's almost done okay i wasn't yeah. sure because I, I feel like it was done but i but if it's out in the it's open i can link done. it to this thing no it's not yet that's fine well maybe later on we'll link it like it's not this thing won't come out probably for a few weeks. Okay. So, yeah. Well, I'm hoping to have it done hopefully by next weekend. There's like two things. I want my editor to change and then I just need to do, oh, well, then there's then the edit will be locked off, but then we need to do the color grade and music. Oh, sound. sound. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, anyway, so, I mean, you're already in some respects in that mindset. Mm. It sounds like, you know, it sounds like you're, you know, you're emotionally telling stories in a particular way. Though you, like you said, you were, the, the major difference between what you what you did then for the conversation, or our conversation? Mm, our conversation. Uh, our conversation. Uh, and what you're going to be doing for this music video is that that's, our conversation was still telling a narrative, even in that uh, mm. back sequence. But the way you're doing that was emotionally connecting to a narrative so so you're almost going to be doing that with this like you've almost done that already yeah and you're going to be translating that into to the music video now i wonder how much you get out of the music video i think the music video will be good a good exercise in learning to tell um that montage sort of because i don't do a lot of montage and often i find myself with a script that has sort of a montage sequence in it and i'm like oh what the fuck do i put there Mm. um 
And it's interesting because I used to find that I was actually very visual, like very little when I did write, I would write very little dialogue and stuff like that. And I think just recently I've just been become so focused on character and dialogue um, and that journey that I need to bring myself back and actually look at those moments where they aren't speaking and what's happening there and how do we tell the story in the silence. Mm-hmm. So and while a music video isn't silent, it's like how do you... Um, you yeah. don't use dialogue to tell a story mm. or to, to express a feeling. Mm. Yeah. And you know what? Let's tie this all the way back down to the original film, mm-hmm. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Now, mm-hmm. this is, it is a play into all this. You're talking about the um, behind the scenes and talking about the costume mm. and the, the flat face. I mean, there, there's a lot of logical, logical moments in that kind of respect. Um, but it is, that film is obviously, it has to be littered with exposition. But what makes that film really interesting is it's the, the feeling it gives you throughout the whole experience a feeling of insignificance and chaos and, and everything and, and how it doesn't necessarily do that. Like if you read, I mean, if you read the book, it would make you feel that, but it, but if you watch the film, it's the dialogue doesn't necessarily take you on the journey of chaos. Mm. The world that you see and you experience and you feel takes you on that world of chaos. And so this is kind of what's The dialogue almost brings it like back to normal. Yeah. Grounded. It grounds that experience. And that's kind of what you're describing here. You know, like, and and I imagine that your evolution as a filmmaker will become that. And this is not, once again, that doesn't mean that the films prior to this evolution are not good Mm. films or whatever. It just means that there is, like, like with even in my career, though very technical, it every add-on is an like a a little Mm. evolution. Doesn't mean the sound before wasn't recorded well. It just means that I've found a new way to capture sound, or I've chose to add a personality trait to the way that I position microphones to tell a story without, you know, without post-production telling a story. Yeah, which is why I've deliberately decided that I want to challenge myself in mm-hmm. what I'm doing. And so with um, It's the End of the World, like I wanted to try doing a comedy and mm-hmm. I wanted to do something absurdist mm-hmm. and like really give that a go. Yeah, hell yeah. Because I'd never done it before. Do you think that you you took any influences out of Hitchhiker's Guide? David, did you did you mm. watch that film the other day and have any moment of like, you know what? It's this is something I would love to do. <laughs> I would love to do it, but um, I didn't actually. Mm-hmm. I think we might have just been a little too ill prepared to come up with references, and I didn't write it, but the writer might have actually brought on a few different things. I just wanted to do something that was like a twisted comedy. Mm-hmm. And she was like, "Yeah, sure, I'll yeah. write that for you." I think that that you probably did, but not not knowing. Not yeah, subconsciously. Yeah, yeah, like it's just because you, you said this is something you watch regularly. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so there's something that it, and like you you even said at the beginning that this you enjoy it because there's a, a it's just silly fun. Yeah. But and then you relate it to this film that you've just done, and which is kind of like silly fun. It is silly fun, but with a message. And what is this film? The message is. Um, Get off your ass and stop polluting the planet, or at least give it a red hot crack. Yeah. Even if everything is not solvable, you not doing anything doesn't help anybody. Mm. And sort of it's about people's apathy towards the changing environment and sort of going, oh, well, it's really the effects are so far away from you that it doesn't affect you. Mm-hmm. So I get really frustrated when people go, oh, it's really hot in April. It's amazing. I'm at the beach in April. And I'm like, you shouldn't be at the beach in April. <laughs> That's right. Like, and it's not a good thing. And you being at the beach in April means like an island in the Pacific has sunk. 
Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, Not passionate at all about this, it sounds like. <laughs> it sounds like there's no... <laughs> well, it came... So I went on a... Uh, it was the, after the BBC report about climate change came out and sort of what's going to happen in the future mm-hmm. and where we're heading and needing a really quick turnaround and how um, there was some response to that, but still, like, very little change in people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sort of think about, like... Um, media is very important for people to change. Mm-hmm. And I'll use my parents as an example here. Like living at home, I was always very um, like pro-environment, like saving water and d- recycling properly and everything. And my parents just sort of were a bit, well, I was just like a nag, the enviro nag around the house. Mm-hmm. And then they suddenly watched um, uh, the war on waste and then suddenly like started doing red cycle and like, mm. so I had a worm farm and then once I moved out of home, my dad took over the worm farm and doing all that sort of stuff. Like it was important. And like, so, like that show had a really big impact mm. on people and um, actually Worth and Coles apparently like changed, they brought in, they took away free single use plastic bags because of public outcry after that show. Mm-hmm. And the whole ban the straw movement became really big after it was sort of publicized on that show. So I do think you need to give like a bit of a voice to these cause. And it's sort of just about, you kind of have to bang on people's doors mm-hmm. with the message and eventually they start like doing something about it or like start making little changes. But basically it's all, there are lots of little changes we can do in our lives to help the planet. Like using a keep cup, it's such a small thing, but so many people don't want to do it because it's inconvenient for them to carry around a keep cup. Or to clean it. Or to or, clean it. Yeah. Is, yeah. And to clean it before the next time they use it. See, I think there's there's more more um, crossovers between Hitchhiker's Guide and this film that you just made than you think. Because mm. I think if you, if you rewind to, what, 2004, 2005 it was? Mm-hmm. And you you play that film, then that that this movie is is putting a mirror up to bureaucracy, mm. uh, and I'm sure the book itself had comments on many aspects of of the way the world works. But I think we've mentioned before that that the playing down of um of the human ego, the like that humans are just kind of these low level things that um that think they're high and mighty, and that. And then putting a mirror up to like the the bureaucrats that are destroying the world mm. in this kind of weird, absurd kind of way, and how they function, and how sometimes they're like they don't seem at all logical, um, and they seem like like with the whole form giving, it's like go oh, give me that form. It's like why can't you just do the thing? Why mm. can't you take action? And I think that this film, like the film that you're that you've made, has yeah. It's, I think that there's a lot of like crossovers in uh, just it's a different era. But let's talk about the relationship between Hitch. Chikers okay. and your and uh, end of the world. Yeah, because I think that like we, we go on this adventure of um, these two characters, which are opposing personality traits mm. that complement each other. Everything else is there to 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 push the narrative and not there to change. Like that, like all the other characters are, are, are don't really evolve or mm. move as characters. They're just there to kind of push the narrative along and push these two characters along down the wheel. It is just a fun, quirky film, but it is very much also like you can read into the metaphor and that's kind of its charm it sounds like your film is it's about two people and the the way that they deal with the world mm. and it's about them bumping heads and, and the the metaphor about you know like the environment and everything sounds yeah. like it's sort of about the inability to change in the face of like impending doom just because it's too difficult and also i think you get to a certain point like you get so far down the track that you're past the point of no return and i think that's what i think that's a lot of planet is a lot of people have the attitude of like we're part like 
what can we do about it now? We're fucked anyway. Mm-hmm. Why bother changing like me, you know, doing red cycle or like, you know, recycling soft plastics? How's that going to make a difference to the planet? But I think it's a, like it's about a mindset and it's about caring enough to try. Mm-hmm. And if everyone goes, oh, like what? Like if everyone makes a slight difference, it has a big impact. Mm-hmm. So if everyone goes, oh, I'm going to eat meat only twice a week, that has a huge impact on the planet. Mm-hmm. If more people do it, because no, not everyone can be um, a vegan. And while I'm a vegetarian, um, I became a vegetarian a long time ago. And I wasn't for environmental reasons. And a lot of people have since become like, and I've sort of watched sort of there being very few vegetarians out there to like more and more friends becoming vegetarian, which is you know quite nice. And um, your film is telling a story about about environmentalism. Mm. Uh, I've never seen it because it hasn't come out yet and it's just been shot. And I couldn't even show you a rough cut because it's that we shot it last weekend. Yeah, yeah, so early in the game. Mm. But does it smack you in the face with environmentalism? Uh, I think a little bit. It smacks you in the face of, like, the consequences of environmentalism. So here are these two people in a a very lovely home going about their daily lives and um, down the street, houses are sinking. Mm. And all oh, their friends are dead now because um, like, they've sunk. The water is rising so fast. And But I'm going to continue on and, like, you know, the house is just slowly filling up with rubbish because they stopped collecting rubbish. They can't collect it anymore, but we're going to pretend everything's okay. And um, mm. uh, we're going to pretend it's fine that uh, we're sweating um, constantly and it is so hot and there's rubbish everywhere and we're just living with it. Do you want the audience to... Um to feel that do you want the audience to look at their own lives and and have like this this deep experience or do you want people to just be like this it's like like they can see it as more the comedy and the absurdistness. Which what what version would you want to? I think the comedy and the, the absurdist. But it's like not a very serious film, and it's meant to be fun and funny. But it's meant to have like a little eco message. And there's like stuff. There's like a scene in the kitchen where they're like, "Oh, it's terrible. All this stuff's happening. What can we do for the planet?" I know we'll buy more keep cups, and she opens a cupboard, and it's full of thirty keep cups. And like, oh, well, oh, we should also get some more environmental, like, oh, you know, reusable shopping bags. And they open a cupboard, and it falls out of these shopping bags that they're not using because they every time they go, like, oh. I forgot the bag, so I'm going to pay 15 cents for a new yeah, bag. Yeah, that's right. Not, not even the proper, you know, re- yeah. reusable bags are ones that are made at that cost a dollar. Yeah. Even the cheaper ones that, like, technically biodegrade or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, okay, awesome. Well, let's go back into um, these guys and their adventure. Yeah. These guys are governed by the absurdity of politics and mm. of everything that kind of is the statement of the film. I I imagine there's kind of two points. One is these two characters who are discovering themselves and each other and how they, you know, they're the last Mm. two people on earth technically, um, living in a world, a hyper world where politics seem to be, and bureaucracy seems to be at its most extreme and in your Mm. face. Um, And that's the path that these guys are trying to navigate through. Well, I think... So, like, if you look at, and it was sort of way early days, but, like, sort of Zayford winning the election is almost like Trump winning the election. He's this person that was voted in on pure, like, sort of boisterous character rather than knowing anything about policy or um, (laughs) any idea how to run a country or working in government. He did not even work in government. Mm -hmm. He had nothing to do with it. He was a businessman and a reality TV star. Were you about to quote that line? There's an amazing line in the film which literally describes what you're describing. What line is it? It was people thought they were voting a worse dress, voting no. for worse dressed in the galaxy contest. Yeah, yeah, that that is amazing, and that's a, that's an amazing concept about deception in voting. Um, but the line I'm thinking of is that uh, Hamakavula, where he he says, or oh, people 
like oh i think i wrote it i didn't write down the line but he he makes a comment about people are more likely to vote for character and charm than not even there's another what? moment um it's uh presidents don't don't have the power they're there to distract yeah. from the oh, yes yeah you're he doesn't have any real power he's just there to distract from what's going on yeah which once again it's like you can't it, you we start off looking at this film and being like oh yeah it's just a movie about a movie you know about, about a bit of fun and a bit, a bit silliness and then you, you start to pick at these details and you go wow this is actually really trying to hammer in a point like really in your face about it and the fact that it's like so early days like so far um ahead of trump it just sort of goes to show that this stuff's been happening forever Mm, mm -hmm. and it's just a cycle and will continue to happen and unless we become more aware of it Mm. because clearly we just let it fester and we literally have a Trump Mm. and every person that has been before that has been similar we see with rose tinted glasses Mm. uh, because this current precedent is just off the chain wacky Mm. he may as well have a head in his neck Mm. Um, and I wouldn't wouldn't surprise us if he did it really wouldn't you know he's got enough like neck to do it I I can make fun of that guy for for days I'm not even I'm not even into politics and I will like hammer that that point down one of the kind of brilliant themes of the film is the comment it makes about the irrelevance of seeking a meaning of life Mm. because that's one of the main I mean that's essentially what the the president Mm. of the galaxy is trying to do he's trying to figure out the last piece for fame and glory yeah but but and that they met this robot and they wait like what was it 100 million years or something like that or whatever the the number is and they come back to try to get the answer and the robot's like well you're not gonna like this (laughs) you didn't ask me the question I mean seriously yeah but it's so like it's and then they use um, uh, Arthur's character as like you're the one that's gonna tell us what the question is Hmm. and the reality is is that he doesn't have the question uh, like the, the question is it's almost irrelevant uh, in the thing and it once again points back to that concept which I think in the film is uh, very blatantly obvious is that the kind of humans are nothing mm. big life questions are nothing we, we're all seeking this thing we're all trying to push for this thing and it's, it's all irrelevant well yeah when he goes so Bill Nye's character so Arthur goes oh I've always had this sort of overwhelming sense that there's something bigger out there and Bill Nye goes, oh, that's just paranoia. Perfectly normal. Everyone <laughs> in the universe gets that. Like that's everyone. <laughs> yeah. And even that, the funny thing is, even that kind of makes a joke on what end up being the, I guess, the villains of the film, the mice. Yes. It's like there's something bigger out there as the smallest, <laughs> tiny little thing. Like I think it's 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 constantly slapping you in the face. What about that amazing cameo of um, Bill Bailey? As the whale and yeah. he sort of has seven seconds to come to terms with his existence. That's right. What he is and then he dies. Yeah, then- that's right. Right. And it's that's it. And it's so meaningless. Like all this work that he puts into. It, it's almost it almost feels like everything in this film, other than maybe the love story, is just meaningless. And that's the kind of like and it is meaningless and it is stupid and it's not um but that's kind of the point to it. That's kind of the reminder that life is a bit meaningless. Life is a bit but you have to prescribe meaning to things, otherwise we'd never get up. Yeah. And yeah. we'd sort of just lie there going, Well, what's the point? And you sort of if you look at an animal, um, they don't have that existential crisis. Mm-hmm. They don't wonder what they're here or what they're doing. They just do. Mm-hmm. And they get up and it's very, you know, you observe and they, like, no one teaches a bird how to make a nest. It just builds its nest. Um, and no one really teaches an animal to walk. They just know how to walk. Mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. just get up and they do it because everything in their instincts is telling them to get up and do it. Do you think humans are not taught how to try to seek meaning? They just do. Yeah, yeah. maybe. 
Maybe, I think, because I think it's something we all go through. Everyone has an existential crisis phase and um, it's not something we're necessarily taught because I think we're almost taught not to have one because mm-hmm. we're just meant to continue on with everything. But The status yeah. quo. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think also- we can get very overwhelmed, particularly because there is so much, like our life is a far more complicated than that of a bird or a dolphin or a dog, um, which is just, theirs is it's almost their existence. This is just to exist and to keep on carrying on mm-hmm. to breed and stuff like that. Um. I think Whereas our lives are a little bit more complicated. We've added stuff to life that's far more complicated than just existing. And I would, t- uh, like, uneducated opinion here, mm-hmm. I would tear it down to pattern recognition. Mm-hmm. I think that humans have an amazing and uncontrollable feeling to want to put things in boxes and try to connect dots. Uh, and it's that one difference in instinct which has kind of like pushed us to such a extreme level and also like an absurd level where we we see meaning in things that make absolutely no sense i always think it's the fear of being forgotten because mm-hmm. i think okay. we all have a deep underlying sense of how insignificant we are in the grand scheme of things well most of us do mm. and so we have this sort of no one wants to be forgotten like and i think we're all very afraid so we what we try and do is have it's bigger Create podcasts and- mark on the world yeah so that people will remember us for as long as possible Mm, that's fair do you do you resonate with that i think a little bit you want to i to be honest i don't think about death too much but um let's start now (laughs) (laughs) i don't really sort of think about what's going to be here after i'm gone um but I, I do think a lot of what we do and a lot of um, where gr- I think greed comes from sometimes is to try and make ourselves as significant as possible. Mm-hmm. Like I want to, I want something named after me and I want like my name on a, on a road or a boat or a plane or something like that. It's yeah. this thing that will be completely. I want to do something. Yeah. That will have meaning and chances are, you know, 400 years time, not everyone's Shakespeare, not everyone's work continues on. Yes, but both of us are Shakespeare, so yeah. this will continue. Well, I certainly am. Yeah, that's right. So, and it, it, is there any like part of your directing experience which is like I I want to leave my mark, or is it literally just I enjoy creating? I think for right at the moment, it's just I enjoy creating. You're not egotistical enough, I think. I'm sure that will come. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Got to add the cocaine and. And uh, drugs and the just, tons of money. Do you just give me a slight bit of success and then ask me and <laughs> when yeah. I've got that. And then... That's right. I'll try to get all podcasts with you in like three years' time. And yeah. Like and I'll be like, no. Best... Yeah, no, I'm, I'm too busy. That. And it's not even me telling you. It's my, my third PA. That's right. And they wanted to tell you that I know that I know Molly well enough that they will say to you that your podcast is so insignificant mm. that it's not worth the time because my voice is more important on film yeah yeah that's what you're going to be like i'm going to be very busy in three years is what yeah that's exactly right yeah Yeah. that's what we keep telling ourselves (laughs) and then you have like the the most quietest year of your entire career and you're like oh this is interesting yeah well hopefully this year is not going to be such a quiet year for people yeah no we'll see well you know that way there's three features shooting at the moment i know but one of them is like micro budget and stuff like that's one of them's gonna be peter rabbit and anyway but it's still exciting it's better than last january january was good this year i guess 
to a certain degree. As far as January's go. Yeah. But anyway, back to the film. Back to the film. Yeah. Stop talking about important real stuff. Let's let's avoid reality for even longer. What about the one of my favorite things about this thing was about um the the what was written on the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Like I guess you wouldn't call it a book, but a digital tablet. Don't panic. Don't panic. I think there's large friendly letters. <laughs> and and like I don't know there's there's something about I feel like that's a really important point. And I think that's something that like gets drilled into our heads throughout the whole film. Uh, because the more people... It's like keep calm, carry on. Yeah. Because the more we do, the more, the more we kind of do panic, the worse... It seems, yeah, in that circle, in this universe anyway, because I think that in some respect, panicking can help in, in reality. But in this film, I think with the the chaos, I mean, could you imagine living in this kind of world? I think I've, I, I think going through everything that they went through in such a short space of time, I'd be very stressed. Yes, <laughs> and I'd feel very stressed. I just want to sit down and have a nap. <laughs> Yeah, and you don't get to. And I'd be like, actually, you know what? You guys go keep traveling the universe. I've seen enough. I'm going to curl up in my doona for a few days. That means you sound like you resonate more with Arthur than (laughs) with uh, Trish. I think I used to resonate with her when I was younger. And then the older I've gotten, the more I've gone. "Mm, I think I want to to sit down. (laughs) I've had a double resurgence. I think I was more like Arthur to begin with. Then I became a bit like Trish. And then I kind of starting to realize I want to be more like Arthur. And then I feel like that Trish side's like, but. I think we have Trish and Arthur in all of us. Oh, absolutely. And they've got to balance out each other. I will say that when I was watching this film, and you might be able to like uh, enlighten me on, because you've seen it a lot more times, is that I found that the there were a few, I feel like this should have been a series. Mm-hmm. I feel like it should have been like a 10-part series. Just this one movie. Uh, it should have added more concepts maybe. Maybe it was like maybe 30-minute episodes that told a, a story. Yeah, well, it d- definitely didn't explore, I think, from memory. Um, and I really can't remember the book very well, but I think there was a lot more in the book. But even if you take the book out of it and you mm-hmm. just use this film script, I feel like there was so many m- points where they jumped like they use yeah. editing to kind of completely just like i found it really disorienting like uh one of the examples are when uh trish takes the president dude mm. and like threatens his life mm. there's like i feel like there's three or four cuts and then she's gone yeah and it's like it's really they like it's a really weird editing yeah no there was there is some funky editing in there and in that particularly where she's like she walks out it's like she was holding him hat and then suddenly she's being carried off by the vogons it's like how did they get her away from the president and then how did they not capture him yes and how did they get away and her not like it's all very it looks a bit what do you think of her performance Zoe Deschanel. Um, mm. It's very Zoe Deschanel. Okay. I thought she was very flat mm. for a lot of it. And then occasionally she had some really good moments. Mm. But I felt like she was very one dimensional. Mm. And it, it could have been intentional because she really did that that scene where she shoots the president with the mm. perspective gun. Uh, that's, a, that's the first time we really see another side of her. That's right. This is where we see that depth that she yeah. has because otherwise she's just been oh no you, you've seen moments of it I guess throughout the film where she's kind of like unhappy with certain things or she has kind of a moment of reflection or whatever but then it's only until then when you kind of like well, she, she's obviously trying to properly discover herself by continually shooting him yeah and that's why she's doing it I think anyway because she wants to hear it that was like a bit of a disappointment to me because I feel like like you could have used those characters a lot more and like really mm. kind of stretched same with Arthur's character for a lot of it he was quite one dimensional um, and then I mean and 
and once again, this is a silly film that's kind of fun and like absurd and it doesn't have to have like it didn't need those characters to be amazing. But I still feel like it's a lost opportunity. And I feel like if imagine if if Zoe Deschanel's character was a lot more conflicted and and there we were... saw a bit more of her journey and stuff like that. Because yeah. we don't really see that no, much no. of a and we got surprised with her. Yeah. Like that, that was kind of and that's kind of what I mean by the wish this was a series. Just even this script was a even a three-part series or like a four-part series. Like it could have still been the same plot points, but just allowed moments for those things to breathe and mm. and like to have kind of crescendos of of character arcs. Whilst I feel like Arthur and Zoe's character kind of just go. Oh, sorry, Arthur and Trish go kind of just go up and then they kind of just get to a, a, a pinnacle and that's how they end. Mm. Whilst I and suddenly like, they're in love. Right. You know, rather than kind of going up and down and kind of having like like a, a kind of a bit more of a joyride with yeah. with that arc. And I, I feel like there was a lost opportunity um, of character. Once again, doesn't doesn't make the film shit. Yeah. It's just a missed feeling. You know, Interesting any- that you say it could be a series, though. Mm. I think uh, there's definitely a lot going on in one film. Oh, yes. Like, how many planets do they visit in the one film? And, like, suddenly they're in this place where everyone's sneezing and worshipping a, worshiping mm. a nose. And um, That's a whole episode right there. Yeah. Mm. Well, I think, but, that's, you know, you're talking about it in terms of episodes. That makes me think of shows like Doctor Who, which Maybe, do. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen the show. I've not. I used to be quite into it when I was a teenager. Mm. And then um, I made friends. <laughs> Nice. Stop being lame. <laughs> I know. I just sort of, grew, I was just sort of not interested anymore and it changed and I didn't like it as much, but it was like the, like every episode was a new world and we explored that world and we got like a full character arc each mm. episode. Did you ever watch Firefly? Yes. I, I feel like it could have been that length of that series. Mm. You know, and I would have felt more satisfied with, like, it would have been a layer of depth that I would have been a lot more satisfied with. But I didn't read the book. I don't mm. know. Maybe that was the whole point where everything yeah. is kind of bullshit. It's just so crazy. There's so much going on that you just got to roll with it. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. And like, you don't always get to get time to sit and explore every sort of little world that you're in. Sometimes it's like, all right, it's off to the next one. You don't know all about that one, but. Yeah, twenty percent of my budget just went to this particular set, but yeah, sure, let's yeah. go to the next thing. Yeah, and it, you know, and it could almost be like a, a, a telling in itself to be like even the the love triangle that kind of happens right at the end is also like who gives a fuck because it, mm. it's kind of bullshit. I don't know if I'm not sure if the audience is led to believe that. Oh my god, oh wow, that's such a beautiful moment when literally it was thrown in our face right at the end. They kiss. Yeah, yeah, mm, that's right. They love each other. That's right. It's beautiful, and they've spent like a week together, and now I know not even a week. Like they spent a lot of time apart in that period. Yeah, and she's when she shoots Zayford with the gun and he's like, oh, you're, now you're worried you blew it. You're shot with the one guy that might make you happy. And you're like, really? He's going to make you happy? How do you know that? All he's done is whinge. Yeah, that's right. He's not a really lovable character. No. And neither is she. Like, she's a alluring character because of her kind of, like, quirky, I want to do everything, yeah. but she's not a very good person. No. She's very dismissive and inconsiderate, mm. uh, which is the irony of, like, the, the perspective gun because the whole premise is that women in particular... Like, mind you, this film is written at like the books are written at a time where yeah gender stereotypes were a lot more uh, extreme uh and still are but like obviously we're mm. a little bit more uh, we acknowledged them a little bit more but it's funny that 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 gun wouldn't work on her when in reality she she doesn't she could see something from someone else's point of view well she needs to yeah she needs to empathize a little bit more because she's a very selfish character yeah who just goes on the on the whim of of her own desires and you know is miserable because of it yeah. So I, I don't know if I don't know if there's any character in this film that's likable. But I don't Ford. know if that's a. Point. I like Ford. He's yeah, but he's also not a. He doesn't develop. 
you know. We, we, Doesn't matter. No, none of it matters. You know, but I think you'd have more fun hanging around Ford than you would with anybody else. You would, but I think you'd also be alone. I think at some point you'd be traveling the galaxy with Ford and then it'd be like, oh, you know what, I'm going to do this thing. And it just goes Boonk, and disappears. And you'd be like, what happened to Ford? I thought you meant like you're never, he's never really there. <laughs> no, I wasn't never that really be there. Well, no, because I, he's always so in his own head and world. Listen to his conversation with that. Um, we don't know what kind of person she was. Oh, yes. But you he know. was like, I was on, stuck on a different planet. I can see you've grown. And Yeah, which is a kind of funny little joke, but it's also kind of like telling of his yeah. of, of him. He's an untrustworthy, flippant, flaky Just character. another fuckboy. <laughs> yeah, right? Like Zephod. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> My note, Zephod ultimate fuckboy. Yeah, that's right. There's actually something that they say in it, in the film? Or is that just your note? No, that's just my note. Yeah, right. Describe my late note. No, it's sort of like um, he's, this, he's got this big ego and so full of himself and like we'll just sort of flirt with anything. Hey, how's it going? And kind of love him of, and leave him kind of person. Yeah, I think it was just sort of the stereotypical fuckboy. Yeah. And then uh, I think maybe perhaps Ford is like, the confusing, the confusing fuckboy because you get really, you get drawn into it and mm. they're quite nice but they only want you for a certain amount of time and then when they're done with you, they're gone and like, but you get tricked into it. Mm-hmm. Whereas Seyfold's like the obvious fuckboy. <laughs> I feel like this is like There's the, different the types. teenage you and how you experience this film. Well, the fuckboy was not a thing when I was a teenager. I don't even know. I've never heard of that like term. I, mean, I can, Really? I can understand it via context but I don't mm. understand like, I don't, I don't remember hearing people say that on a regular basis it's a new thing i definitely say it would be in the past four years or so that is this me showing my age yeah yeah okay all right it's good to know i didn't know what that sound thing what was it again uh asmr yeah i didn't know what that was you have to tell me what that was um so we're both old gotcha i'm gonna look it up on urban dictionary go for it because you know that's a really reliable source of um dictionary facts there's a fun Um, thing to say about that actually i always think of urban dictionaries like people like oh it's such a like a a non-official dictionary i'm like well Mm. isn't language just something we all agree upon yeah and and there's an urban dictionary, something that facilitates that. Well, I often need it because I can't keep up with the youths and what they're saying. Oh, you've just got to learn to give up on the youths. They're, um, they're, not, they're, not, they're not worth the time. And I have to, I have to often have to look up um, there's all, all those internet abbreviations and I don't know what they mean and I'm constantly having to Google what they stand for. Like uh, SMH is shaking my head. Oh, I don't even know that. Mm. Yeah. No, now you do. Now I do. Now I'm... I've educated you. I'm a better person. No, I'm 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 happily out of that. I think I think I'm yeah, sort of doing Here we go. And it's spelled F U C B O I. Of course it is. Fuckboy noun. The word fuckboy is commonly used to describe someone who greatly believes themselves to be the high to be of a higher social standing, have better appearance and be able to obtain any boy/girl in a relationship. That's interesting. That's not how I would describe it. Oh, lots of different definitions. Yes, sounds like one of those ones. Oh, that one's quite offensive. <laughs> um, <laughs> fuck boy. This one just says a teen who can suck their own penis. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. Um, I think sort of how oh my God. I've been using it and like it's sort of. It's like the first one sounds similar. It's sort of, I think people came up with it in the terms like the, the male version of a slut, sort of mm. like, um, but it's also not that it's just basically a guy who sort of fucks around. And yeah, doesn't yeah. really care and doesn't really care about anything but himself. Yeah, I mean, you, you use the word slut and I would like, I, I have a really 
strong distaste to that word mm-hmm. um, because I think it's not definable. Mm. I think it's one of those words that we'd like to think there's a definition of. I found it, I felt it's a gross word and I felt very uncomfortable saying it. Yeah, I, I could tell. <laughs> you could see I that in your face. It. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're like, oh, I'm just going to say it because it's kind of relevant. But, like, it's, but it is like, it's one of those, I think that you can't, like you say, if you ask 10 people, it'll be a different definition mm. from person to person. Um, and what cost, constitutes one? Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's that means that the word isn't useful. Yeah, whereas fuck, I think it's sort of someone who's very just apathetic to other people's feelings and stuff like that and is, lives a very selfish lifestyle. And mm, which is very definable. Mm. Like that's that, that's something you can... But that's my interpretation. Urban Dictionary has some other ideas about it. Clearly. One that... <laughs> someone, who can... someone who can suck their dick. But a teenager who can do it, which is interesting. Oh, I don't so know. So maybe there's a fuck that. man. <laughs> yeah, I guess. It's an it's an adult man who can. I've never heard of that. I oh man, there's so many stupid questions to be asked about that. But anyway, we're defining that. Like, mm. so my my feelings to this, and I don't know if this is worth the if this is the point to wrap it up on, is that I feel like this film. The more I try to dive into it, the more I get hit with the in the face with, it doesn't fucking matter. Yeah, what's the point? Yeah. Why bother analyzing it? Like, even if like you want to analyze it. The, the final answer to the question is, who gives a fuck? Yeah. It's, it's doesn't matter. We exist because it, we exist. Why not? Why question? Just keep going. Yeah, just keep trotting along. And if you want to, you, you want meaning to life, then pretend to have meaning in life. But yeah. if you don't, then you might create not be. your own meaning. Yeah, exactly. I think it's why people, like, I'm a big believer in that you can prescribe meaning to anything mm-hmm. and you can give anything a power over you. So it's like a lot of people uh, into the, say like I'm not myself but really into crystals and the energy crystals give them Mm. I don't believe there's an energy radiating that out of that crystal but Mm. I believe that someone can give that crystal power that it gives them power Mm -hmm. the placebo kind of like power yeah no I I think that there is so I think you you just sort of whatever gets you through the day man (laughs) well I'm I'm a I'm an avid believer like I used to be a pretty um well I used to be agnostic Mm. And then I realized that I was atheist. And then mm. I went through a phase of like, all religion is stupid. And then I went through another phase of being like, no, religion is actually really important. Mm. There's a lot of stupidity that happens in all concepts. Not doesn't even, doesn't have to be religious or not. There's always dickheads. Mm. Um, and then I also went into like a, like, I'm almost kind of at a point where I'm like, I don't, I'm a very kind of science minded kind of person. Uh, and yes, I will be very like skeptical if someone says that, you know, this couch gives me magical powers. Mm. Um, but if it can be proven, I'm willing to be proven wrong. I'm willing to be like if someone did hold a crystal up and say, well, this will make you feel better. Yeah. And, and then someone found a way to make like to prove that to me. I'll be like, OK. But I think it, I think it's in I believe in like the religion of yourself, I guess, like, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And anything is possible within your mind. So, like, how do, how is, you know, believing that, like, this quartz, rose quartz will give you a power, or not give you power to say, but make you feel a certain way other than there's a man in the sky, mm. you know? And I feel like, but you can, if you believe that there is, and if you look at that crystal and you go, I get a sense of strength from doing it, I think that strength is right coming from yourself, mm. but you're just going, it gives it a source, if that makes sense. And I think we need sort of sources outside ourselves 
that's why we have religion. Yeah, and I think that like that there's something to be said about like basketball players who don't change their underwear, mm. you know, and it's like and it actually is proven to make them play worse when they do because they believe. Mm, that's yeah. right. And I believe everything comes from yourself, mm-hmm. from within you, and I do like um. So like I was never I was always very critical of stuff like The Secret and things like that, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I don't necessarily believe that if you sit on this couch and you go, I want a diamond ring for my birthday, and you sit here and going mm, diamond ring. And you keep muttering it to yourself, it's going to happen. But if you, I do believe in the power of focusing on something. And if you focus a lot of energy towards something, it's more likely to happen. And that's probably the caveat there, because I would always, my first feelings when you say that, it makes me go, imagine being like, we live a privileged life. Mm. Imagine being someone who doesn't have access to anything, Mm. who wills, who probably does will to have something that we find very easily accessible. And they just will never get it because of where they're, where, what mm. position they're in. So I think there's also like a privilege element to it. Mm. Uh, but like you said, it's yeah, you the, can have- the caveat is the it could, it's more likely to or it could happen when when you put will into it. Yeah. Um, but will isn't tangible. Will isn't something that like uh, you know like we can have will juice and then when we drink will juice it will make us more willful it's not it's something that exists inside our minds and it and, and same thing with motivation and drive and and all those things they're they're, they're mental concepts and even when i draw uh, i will like i will hang pictures of drawings that i've done around me mm. and i don't i just not, not, not that those pictures i need them to be there to draw but there is something about being in that space yeah, which allows me to do it. Well, it's like the idea of like a lot of people into vision boards or whatever. Mm. But if you're looking at that every day, yes, you're far more and focusing on it, you're far more likely to achieve those goals. They didn't happen by magic. Mm. That's what I, I sort of feel they happen because you focused like something within you on achieving it. I also think there's some, there, there is like, it's not actually magic, but there's some kind of magic to psychology. Like it's just, it's this weird I think there's a lot of power in the mind and mm. connecting with other that we have no idea about. Yeah. That's the that's the weird part to me. That's the part that I'm like. Well, it's the, the whole thing of you can when you can feel someone's looking at you. Mm. Which uh, is a fun. Uh, I watched a video on that. Did you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, there is some kind of. Uh, first of all, we don't normally notice ninety percent of the things that we see. Mm. So, like you know, like the, the flowers on the table there. You know, I might not ever notice those things, but my brain's still seeing it. My brain yeah. is still registering that something there. If you said sunflowers, I'd probably be like, oh, yeah, even though I'd never at one point focused on that. So you, your brain is already taking information, but also the way that people turn their heads and things where we're reading a lot of that kind of information uh, without us realizing on top of the fact that when something looks head shaped, mm. we'll often think it's looking at us. Those flowers get scare the shit out of me every time I come down the stairs at night because they're at the height of a sort of a person. And I I think there's someone there in the The dark. flower face head just like, hey, Molly. It's just a silhouette. How you doing? Yeah, that's kind of weird. But anyway, do you have anything else to add? No. Do you feel like... I can't even remember anything I've said. That's fine. It probably didn't make any sense. Uh, You know, it was a roller coaster ride. So if you got to the end of this... Congratulations. Yeah, well done. I'm, I'm proud of you, audience member. Well, I'm just going to check my notes. Was there anything interesting I had to say? Yeah, go for it. <sighs> Some of these notes are just quite... Vague. I have really... Like vague. handy towel. Um, and then Trish is fucking nuts. Um, Which we talked about. Yeah, we, talk, we discussed that. Uh, oh, yeah. I thought um, 
Arthur's reaction to the poetry suggests that like having a bad reaction to the poetry is like a conditioning thing because there's Ford okay. squirming as he's being read, read the poetry's being read to him but uh Arthur doesn't know that he's meant to react that way to poetry and he's just sort of going huh what mm. oh, that's not great poetry but it's not I'm not in pain yeah that's I found that interesting so yeah it's like a conditioning thing I also think that like Oh, there's something that, that when you say that, it makes me think of the, the I guess, the character of Ford and all the characters in the universe that aren't characters of Earth um, live through kind of like an instinct and feeling. Mm. And so I feel like being human is always being in between feeling and logic. And so this was a moment where those characters that they were facing are entirely logical and they don't really think in, mm. in, in feelings and trying to express feeling. And the Ford character who is entirely feeling and not able to kind of process the logic of, of what's going on because it's just overwhelmed by how like d- disgusted and terrible they feel and how the humanity, Arthur being human, is sitting there going like, what... What's the deal here? This like I can see this is kind of bad, but I'm not. I'm not just. I'm, like, I'm not him, but I'm also not the mm. the, 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 the logical one either. I'm British, and I'm not going to be rude. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that, that kind of story of people being in Britain being like completely polite. Yeah, no, I think that that's like a. a you, once again, you can pick a lot of these kind of moments out of the film. Yeah. Um, but that's a really good like moment of like. Uh, where you know you could siphon out a lot of the kind of metaphor that's happening in that in that equation. Any other fun notes? Um, I just also found it really gross that she put that towel around her after what that towel had been through. I wrote, "How oh, dirty is that shower? towel?" Yeah, after yeah, the that shower. Was, yeah. Also, there's no way he could not see over that shower. Yeah, yeah, he was. And I'm sorry, you don't walk and... up to someone if you're like, "Oh, sorry, you're in the shower." You don't then walk up to yeah. the point like you. You try to avert your eyes and sit down at a lower position. Yeah, you know. And then when they ask for the towel, yeah. But I feel like that's like a budgetary camera framing kind of perspective. Yes. And there was a lot of ADR in that. A lot of ADR. How can you tell? Uh, that, that's not something I picked up on. It's oh man, I don't want to ruin your mind. It's you can. You listen to the way sound in an environment, even in this space, has like it would tell a story. Mm. If you listen to this back, you'll be able to hear where we're in an inner west terrace in a living room in Eskenville. That's right, and it won't even have well, that's the thing, you won't even have to if you never heard the plane go through, never heard a car go by, you'd be able to determine roughly what space you're in. Yeah, and that's lacking in ADR. Yeah, we can really hear that you're sitting under the staircase. You probably could. Yeah. You know, like to a certain degree. And you can hear that I'm on a velvet green couch. Yeah, and I'm on a... My parents' sofa that they gave to me when they moved out. That's, and I can just hear that You can history. hear that. Yeah. But there is, a, there is a personality there which you lose in ADR. Mm-hmm. Though a good ADR specialist would be able to kind of artificially replicate that. But but you'd be surprised. So there we go. Piot thinks uh, the... ADR specialist on Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was not proficient enough. I think he was... He did a he, shit job is what Piot's saying. Funny thing they're saying about he and she, right? Could have been a she. No idea. Could have been a she. But it most likely is going to be he. Mm. Um, I think that they were put in a position where they had to do Do the that. best they could. Yeah, because I feel like there's so many moments where they went with what was actually live recorded and then switching, throwing ADR lines in. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if they had the choice to, to mm-hmm. do a, a complete ADR pass. 
I feel like they, they had a certain amount of budget to do ADR and they just had to pick and choose their fights. And there were some dialogue scenes where there was just one line that needed to be changed and it just, they just had to throw it in and it just, like they tried their best to make it sound blended, but it like, it sticks out. Okay, well, let's wrap it up. Well, unless you have anything more to add. Uh, no, that was, I just thought it was really gross that she put a towel on her naked body that had been through all that stuff. Yeah, that was gross. Get some better hygiene standards, yeah, Trish. That's right. I mean, I think that's probably the most important thing. Mm-hmm. And also I wonder how many versions of that towel they went through on that set. Another thought. I wonder I if that was even the same towel. It doesn't look like this. I can't. I don't think that's. It looks the like the same towel, but I feel like they would have had 30 of them. You're probably right. And if they ever washed it or if they just brought out a new one every time. And I also want to know, is that like a towel they just bought or did they design that pattern specifically for the film? Because yeah. imagine being the like designer who designed that towel and then went, wait, I think I designed that towel. And they just bought it at Target or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a good point like, these are the things i think about <laughs> i think that there are some films where that's exactly right they're, they're like I'm, and this could be one of them mm-hmm. um but i also think that there's a there's a good chance that there was a target towel it was a cheap and nasty towel that they got and they got like five variations of it and that was the one that they stuck with they're like oh this one kind of looks right and they bought 30 of them yeah and then they bought 30 of them that's right and yeah. then just melted all them and then they sold it at some kind of raffle um yeah anything else that's it get out of my house okay good uh well thank you very much thank you for having me i'm so happy to be the first woman on your show what an honor and a privilege for me yeah i feel like i've done i've embarrassed my gender <laughs> no, you and uh, I mean, it's it's good to have a female voice, and we'll hope to have you back on another episode talking about another film. Yeah, um, me too. There are so many movies out there, Piot. I don't know if you know. No, I don't. Yeah, there's. It, it, I've seen eight films in my life, so we could talk about all eight of them. Okay. Well, I think there's at least twenty movies in this world. Stop it. Why haven't I heard about these movies? Right. <laughs> I'm just learning. There might even be more. I don't think so. That sounds like a lot of movies. That's true. That's pretty impossible. How could anyone see more than that? Yeah. 20 movies is like hundreds of hours, Mm. if not millions. Trillions. (laughs) Thank you very much. Okay, bye. (laughs) So that's the podcast for today. Stay tuned as there'll be a new episode probably in about two weeks, I hope. To keep up to date, don't forget to subscribe using Podbean or wherever you get your podcast. On this episode, I want to give a special shout out to Molly, Thank you so much for being on board and hope to have you back some other time. This podcast was produced and edited by me, Piotr Wasileski, and the music was sourced from the Filmstroy website. Till next time, thank you for listening.